Happy Easter. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. We are starting a series called Tough as Nails. I want to encourage you. This is not a uh, one week and done story. So for some of you that hate like cliffhanger sermons or cliffhanger movies, this is going to be one of those you're like, dang it, got me. And that's the goal. The goal is that when we finish today that you're like, oh, I got to hear the rest and that you'll come because I think where we're going to go and where we're going to journey together over the next three weeks is really healthy. It's really good, but it's got to be taken in chunks. And yes, today is Easter, and yes, don't worry, Jesus is still risen, and all right, we'll get to it. But we need to talk about some things that are real, and we need to talk about some things that are going on right now. Um, I want to ask you a question to start. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to ponder this, um, and if you're following along, you can do it right here. Or you can do it at kingswaymo.info. I want to make sure you do that. And if you're online right now, thank you for watching. Appreciate that. Always want to say hi to them. Hey, how much does fear rule your life? How much does fear run or rule your life? It's an important question. Uh, I know for some of us in here, we're really fearful people, and uh, we just naturally stay away from heights, myself. Uh, We fixed the uh, tiles from our youth group this week, and they had this uh, gondola system was taking people 30 feet in the air and fixing, and I thought there would have been a lot of money for me to get up there and a quick death. (laughs) For some of us, we're not as fearful. Some of us are easily going after some things that may scare others or pursuing things that may be a, a little bit more risky or fear doesn't seem to have a hold on us. But I know for each of us, there's a, there's a level of fear that's always present, isn't there? There's a level of fear that seems to be right below the surface. Uh, waiting for something to happen that would spark it, that would start it, that would confirm your suspicions and your, your thoughts. So that was exactly what's going to happen. I know this morning when I, when I got up and I got to the church and uh, one of my web browsers on my computer opened up and it said Sri Lanka had f- seven suicide bombers attacked this morning and three were at Easter services. And for some of you, you're like, I don't even know where Sri Lanka is. It's on the other side of the world. That doesn't matter. But for some of you, that grips you. Because you know that's just geographical, but there's a lot more hearts and minds that are changing each day that at times create fear. And it's not in a movement. And it's not just about a government. You start to recognize that it's about the hearts of an individual. And guess what? People are everywhere. And so fear creeps in. And fear is present. I think for most of us, if we live our lives in fear, we find ourselves paralyzed, find ourselves second-guessing decisions, even pausing or regretting some choices. But I want to remind you something. In the beginning, uh, the founder of our faith was betrayed by a friend, unjustly arrested, illegally tried and convicted, and then flogged. He was betrayed by a friend. Some of us have that fear still, don't we? It's happened. Unjustly arrested, don't we sometimes see that though right is what we pursue, that justice is missing? Illegally tried and convicted, Jesus went through three court systems And all three court systems let him down. 
And then it's punishment at the end. Flogging, see, we're tempted to think it's torture, but it's not torture because flogging had a very specific thing. It was actually a punishment. See, torture is you're trying to get something out of somebody. Flogging was a very specific thing. And, and in fact, we're recorded here in the Gospel of Mark that, that this is why Jesus was flogged. Pilate was the last court that Jesus was in front of. The man that was basically a representation of Rome says, wanting to satisfy the crowd. Can you imagine standing in front of somebody saying, you're going to be you're going to be flogged because I just want to make everybody happy. And he released a known killer and rebel to them, and he had Jesus flogged, handed over to be crucified. Now, flogging, I, I, I can't put pictures and talk about it too much because most of us would either puke or just want to run out of the room, but you, you take leather straps and you put pieces of porcelain or pieces of a little bit of rock or maybe some sharp pieces of bone, and you just embed it, and the goal of it was to, to latch and then rip and to leave the person so exposed to the element and in some places actually rip whole chunks of skin out. So after that, that's when he's handed over to be crucified. And then when he's crucified, it doesn't get much better. I mean, Matthew records this is what happens. So after he gets flogged and he carries his cross for a little ways, he they strip him, they, they put a scarlet robe on him, then they twist together a crown of thorns. There's these certain types of trees up there that the thorns are like an inch to two inches long. It would break straight through. And then they pushed it in, they set it on his head, and, and they put a staff in his right hand. And they knelt in front of him and they mocked him. Some of us, nothing physical would be the thing that would, you'd come to mind. It would be humiliation loss of status, the fear of just being totally humiliated. They hail to the king of the Jews, the Roman guard said. And they spit on him. And they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. You know, it's important to recognize that on the way to being betrayed and illegally arrested and falsely accused and convicted in courts and then flogged and then taken and spit on. That when they caught Jesus and he was betrayed, he was not betrayed because he was running away. Uh, he wasn't caught in the hills. Uh, he wasn't caught trying to flee at night. Uh, Jesus had walked in in broad daylight down Main Street, knowing what was coming. You want to talk about a guy who didn't have fear control him. Look no further than Jesus. In fact, I would say this, uh, Jesus is as tough as nails, and he says to you and I, follow me. Jesus is as tough as nails, and he says to you and I, follow me. I hope for some of you, don't, you don't see that as something you're like, I don't want that. You're, you're like, I would love to be as tough as nails. I would love to have faith and have assurance that would give me confidence in the face of fear. 
I wonder, for most of us, if we would remember what Jesus said when he said, follow me. See, Jesus said this when he said, follow me. He said this. Then he said to all his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So when they hear this, this is before he's been betrayed, before he's been falsely convicted, before he's been flogged, before he's been spit on, before he's been crucified. So they hear this, and they're like, oh, yeah, I get it. We're supposed to say no to ourselves. Yes, but also... You have to say yes to me. See, to deny yourself and to take up the cross. I wonder if these were the words that his apostles started to play in their minds. As they're watching this all go down and they're watching this thing, I wonder if they had stories like Mark records, or Matthew records, I'm sorry. And this is what Matthew says. Do not be afraid. For those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather be afraid for the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I wonder if they're watching this and they're, they're replaying it. I mean, that would be my mind, right? You're like, oh, no way, man. They're just getting his body. He's okay. He's going to be fine, right? But we know that's not their response. We know their response was to flee. We know their response wasn't to stay loyal or to sit by Jesus' side. Their response was to get as far away and to deny. Their response in the face of fear was not to believe in the one, but to believe in fear of the body. I know for most of us, uh, that, that hits home. That really hits home. In today's culture, I know that so many things, just like the terrorist attacks in Sri Lanka or the things that have happened in our own country in the last 20 years, there is a temptation inside my own soul that every, every, every time something like that happens, that it would get deep enough that it would convict and it would drive fear into my life. I'm raising kids. I'm watching people grow up. I'm watching the people I love be exposed to possible danger. And this fear creeps in. But Jesus didn't stay there, did he? See, that's the best part about this. They're watching Jesus be tortured, hung on a cross, and I'm telling you, we don't have a good description of this cross. It's been so Hollywoodized. This is just a concept of, we see this person that is hung up high, far away from the crowd, but truthfully, the Romans didn't create crucifixion, they just perfected it. The Romans took it, and they knocked it down. You were only a few inches off the ground when you were crucified. So close to hope, because when you're crucified, it's the goal is to keep you alive as long as possible and for you to suffocate. They put you in such a way that the, the, your body is twisted and the fluid in your lungs slowly builds and you have to lift yourself up with the wounds in your hands and feet and eventually you run out of the ability to do that. So they put you two or three inches off the ground so that the people that have crucified you can look at you as you die. 
so the people that loved you can look at you while you died. But Jesus didn't stay dead. And I wonder if those verses that had brought fear started to turn your cross and follow me is a different kind of verse if three days later you're just fine. Fear the one that only hurt the body is different when three days later the one who can hold the body and the soul in his hand gets back up out of the grave. I I wonder if they would have his disciples at the time, this story pop up in their mind. Matthew 8, they've taken this boat ride across the sea and the wind and the waves have basically piped in at such a level that the boat is going to be sunk, but Jesus is fast asleep. No fear in this boy. He's trying to get some shut-eye. Some of y'all relate to that. The disciples are freaking out and losing their mind, and they're like, what are we going to do? we got to wake them up. So they wake them up, and Jesus looks at them, and he says this. He replied, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? And in their minds, what are they thinking? (laughs) Have you not looked outside yet? (laughs) Right? Have you not heard the news? Have you not seen my bank account? Have you not heard the conversations between my wife and I? Have you not seen the way my kids act? Have you not seen how hard it is for me to share my faith? But then he got up. And he rebuked the wind and the waves. And it was completely calm. And they all had to change their pants. That's not in the Bible. That's my little addition. And this, is, this is so powerful. They were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Do you think this is what came to their mind when they heard the tomb was empty? You know, I've seen him do this before. What I couldn't touch, what I couldn't change, what I couldn't make right, what I had no hope in, it's right and it's calm. Uh, Mark's gospel records this in a really cool way. I don't have it here, but the phrase that he uses, the men were amazed, it's they feared a great fear. And it basically means this, what they feared in the wind and the waves suddenly was dwarfed by the fear they had in the man standing next to them. They were like, oh, just kidding. Holy cow. What's going on here? And I would say the same to you. It's not that we don't have anything to fear. It's not that bad things couldn't happen. It's not that crosses or harsh words or crowns of thorns or floggings or unjust things aren't happening. I would just tell you this. If you're going to be afraid, fear God. And follow him. Fear the one who is greater than your fear. Fear the one that overcomes the things that we would look and say is too much, too much to handle, too much to think about to be the place that I think Easter needs to come in. There is no hope in this story. There is nothing but fear in this story if somebody doesn't calm wind and waves and if someone doesn't get out of the tomb where we couldn't. There's no hope in this. 
So my, my prayer today is that we fear a great fear. That we would say, holy cow, what, what is it in my life that seems to capture me, capture the fear, and that I would say no? Uncertainty is certain, but being fearful is optional. Being fearful is optional in this world. Uncertainty is certain. There are going to be tons of things that happen in your life that you're like, man, that was not the plan. Your choices are someone else's, all right? It could happen on the way home. If you have any kids, it will happen in about 10 minutes, all right? Uncertainty is certain, but being fearful, living in fear is absolutely optional. And I can prove it to you. The men that were following Jesus before he rose from the grave were the most gutless, whiny, worthless, stand at a distance, make sure it doesn't cost too much, not sure if I'm ready yet, all right, uh, maybe, we'll see, type of guys. But as soon as Jesus comes back from the grave, you couldn't shut him up. You couldn't tell him no. You would say no, and they would say, my God says yes. And it changed the whole story. Peter, the guy that denies Jesus three times on Jesus' way to the cross. Peter, the one that cuts a guy's ear off, and Jesus is like, that's not the way that this is going to work. Love is going to overcome any force. The force that you're trying to prevail is the love's work. It's going to do great things in an act of sacrifice. And then Peter's like, cool, I don't get it. I'm going to be over here. <laughs> but just a few days after he raises from the grave, he stands in front of the very crowd that falsely convicted and crucified his friend, and he says, you did it, say you're sorry, follow him. You killed him, say you're sorry, come and follow him. Peter does that. I can't imagine how fearful I would be. Let me just stand up a bunch of picket and, picket and torch people and just say, hey, yeah, 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 guys. Probably ready for round two. Just want you to know something. You killed him. <laughs> Say you're sorry. Come follow me. Come follow Jesus. How about Paul? Paul, a man who's on the opposite side, who's trying to stop Jesus' followers, has a moment where Jesus comes down and basically says, why are you hurting me? And Paul's like, I didn't know you were real. I didn't know you were there. And he suddenly goes from a person persecuting Jesus to being a person that goes to Jerusalem when everyone knew if he went to Jerusalem, he was going to be arrested and taken to Rome and killed. And he looked at the people that knew that. He looked at his friends and he said, it's where I'm supposed to go. And he went and he was arrested and he was taken in front of Nero, the man who would blame Christians for burning half of the, half of the city of Rome and would lead to the most persecuted group of people at the time. And he looked at Nero and he was able to give his testimony without fear. How about the second century? The Colosseum's in full swing. Christians are being persecuted like crazy. In fact, they're being used as basically fodder for the games. They're brought in and they're basically mauled by animals used in crazy games of mass killing. And in that time period, physicians, and this is why we even have a record of this, is that a physician at the time was only given time to investigate bodies while they were still living. 
There was a rule in Rome that you could not look at a body after it died that was just for burial. So these physicians would wait at the edge of the ring. And as soon as someone was mortally wounded, they would run out and they would quickly look at the body as this person's final breaths were taken. And this is what Claudius records about those Christians. For fearless of death, fearlessness of death, and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. The fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every single day. And if that doesn't convict you, let's go a couple centuries further. William Tyndale, he's way better than William Wallace, okay? He's way better. He's got nothing. All right. William Tyndale was the one that translated the first English Bible in the 15th century. And he did it against the entire church. He did it against the entire world at the time. Governments would be collapsing if they recognized that each person was given the right to have a personal relationship through Scripture. And it was going to be crazy. And you know what happened? He was taken. He was arrested, betrayed by a friend, hung, and then died by being burned at the stake, and the very Bible that you and I read today is because of his fight for a translation in English. And in fact, two years after he was killed, the King Henry declared the English Bible his Bible, and it opened it up to an entire country. To close, I just want to ask you a couple questions. These are tough questions. But it's really important on Easter. Is our version of Christianity worth that? Is what we've experienced and what we're doing, is, is it worth that? Maybe a, maybe a better question is this. Is our version of Christianity worth dying for? Maybe you're here today and it's been a little while since you've investigated some things and maybe you've experienced some things that you're like, no, that is not worth it. Maybe for some of us that have been here our whole lives, like myself, we still ask this question. Is it worth it? And the real question we're asking is, is the way we live today, is the way we're choosing to live worth the price that was paid? I know, this is deep. I told you. This is a three-part series. Because here's what we're going to do for the next two weeks. We're going to discover what it would look like to live a full life. A life that would be worth the price. That if there was something that was tough as nails that Jesus planted, and that that was something that was spread, and if it's still at all around us, and possible, to find, we're going to try to figure it out. The way that we could live, that it would be worth it. Because if Easter is anything, if Easter is anything, it is a celebration of a life that's worth it. It is a celebration of a hope that we could not have had and a life that would not be possible without the cross and an empty tomb. And you better believe that we're not talking about a weak, running away, crybaby Jesus. We're talking about a tough, 
incredible, loving, gracious, surrendered, hope-filled, risen Jesus. And for you and I, if we've been living in fear, he's the only one who can cast out that fear. By revealing the above how Andy Stanley says it, if someone can predict his own death, predict his own resurrection, and then pull it off, let's just do what he says. Because maybe he's got some access to some things, and he's got a different way to live that does not let fear reign. Maybe he's got a way to live that's tough as nails. And maybe that's the life he's calling us to follow him in. Come back next week as we go a little further and figure out how we could become and continue to walk with and be tough as nails. Pray with me.